Welcome to the Thoughtful Gamer Podcast, episode number 39. As always, my name is Mark, and here with me today is Orion. Hello. And we're just going to talk about some games. This is going to be a casual one for us. So casual, we're not even bothering to call it the Chillcast 3 because we haven't found a catchy subtitle. So it's. I don't know. It doesn't feel like a real Chillcast. Okay. It's more like a podcast that is also chill. It's more of a con review, to be honest. That's true. And yeah. by con, we mean a one-day event <laughs> at the uh, New Hampshire Comic-Con, mm-hmm. uh, which was, there was a board game room run by the uh, G2 Summit people, the lovely folks there. Yeah. And so we went up there, we played a bunch of games, and we went disc golfing, which was awesome. And then we came back sweaty and stinky and played some more games. And I apologize to those we played with if they smelled us. I was trying to like stay away from people because I knew I was just coated in sweat. We played a lot of disc golf. We did. We played a full two rounds, 36 holes, and that second course was uh, intense. Yeah, pro tip, if you're ever at the disc golf course in Manchester, New Hampshire, the south course is very difficult and very rough. (laughs) Like... It's narrow. It's It doesn't seem as polished. Like, they haven't put as much work into actually clearing out the forest that it's housed in. Because if you leave the clearings, you're, like, in a ravine surrounded by thorny bushes. Like, if I had worn shorts, which I almost did, I would have lost, like, half, half of my discs. Because there was no way I was going to be able to walk through those bushes in with bare legs. Yeah, and... Also, the second one covered more rough terrain. I remember a lot of steep gullies and ravines that we had to throw across and sometimes dive, you know, go down to retrieve discs out of. Yeah, it was. But it was a lot of fun. I'm going to stay in the north course Um, in the future. uh, Yeah, yeah, probably. The north course, I think, what, I shot like a nine, you shot a something in the teens. And yeah. On the south course, we both shot like a 24 or something. Over par. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Over par, to be clear. We're not that good. We're, we're not very good at all. Yeah. And then we... I felt like I played better on the, on the second course. It was just that much more difficult. Oh, you probably did. I mean, my score decreased by like 14, and your score only decreased by like eight or something. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah for sure. But yeah, it was tough. But. We're here to talk about board games. We have three main games, I think, to talk about. I guess I could talk about the other ones we played there, but three that were really interesting. We finally got to play Baseball Highlights 2045, I believe, is the number attached to that. That's the one you told me. That is the number I remember, which is a game I've been wanting to play for a while because there aren't that many good sports games out there, and I've heard this one's pretty much the best, at least in terms of being a good game that's also about sports. It's not particularly simulationist or anything but it's still a good game we got to play role player which is a dice game i've been hearing a lot about in the last year or two and we ended up playing that and not at the convention but recently because i got a review copy we have been playing root which is the hottest game in board gaming at the moment according to my unscientific survey of social media and also these slightly more scientific board game geek hotness ratings and i think we'll have a slightly different opinion of the game 
at least on our first impressions from the first couple of plays than we've been seeing online. It's an interesting game. Yeah, for sure. But we will get to that later. Let's first start talking about baseball highlights because we got to the convention. There was basically no one else there. We got there in the morning and we're trying to figure out a game to play. I'm like, oh, hey, that I know that's a two-player game and it's supposed to be good with two players. And uh, let's see how it is. So we pulled it out. It was actually much more simple than I thought it was. I thought it was a solidly like mid-weight game and i would say it's on the lighter side yeah especially for for a deck builder i suppose it would be harder if you didn't know baseball because it does kind of assume that you know a lot of baseball terms but basic it assumes basic terms not you don't need to know what like a a double switches or anything maybe in an expansion that would be actually kind of cool but you need to know what the different hits are (laughs) the direction to run the bases yes the rule book was very specific that you need to run the bases in the correct direction (laughs) um that was really about it yeah at least in the base game yeah there were a bunch of expansions in the box that we did not play yeah and i don't know if there was were modules that come in the base game or if that copy just had other expansions included in the box but i believe no, I think those come with the base games as like an optional, a few optional modules because it had rules for them in the rulebook. Okay. I do know that it has a ton of expansion material out there. You can buy like an 80 or $90 version of the game with tons and tons of expansions. But it was a really simple deck builder. And it was interesting because as you play the game... You're not just playing a single baseball game. You're playing through this kind of mini season of... It was a four out of seven series. Yeah. You're so first player to win game four like games. You, you could imagine it as you're playing the World Series of this futuristic robo-baseball. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool how it took almost the experience of like just playing a hand of cards and made that its own little mini game. Where in a typical deck builder, that would just be, you know, your turn. But it yeah. turned that into a little mini game. And you go back and forth, so it's almost like deck building crossed with wargaming, but like the simplest possible version of both of those. Yeah, incredibly simple. Like, oh, look, I play this person and they're threatening a hit. And then you can play a card that says, no, you do not have a hit. Like, that's the level of interaction you're getting in the base game. And you'd think that that would be super dull, but it was really interesting. Not the first time through, because you don't have any decisions on how to craft your deck. How it works is that after each game, the cards you play give you a currency, and then you draft new players and replace uh, cards in your deck with better players from the intergame draft or the mid-game draft. Yeah, so you start with a deck of, I think, 15 cards, mostly rookies and a few veterans who have very basic powers of, you know, hit a double or cancel a hit, things like that. And then you can upgrade those after each game to more interesting cards from the center, which will give you more efficient hitting or more flexible defense or more income or various things like that. Yeah, um, and the the art design and the kind of production of it was really fun. It's this futuristic, but kind of retro futuristic 
style of cyborgs and robots playing baseball. Like one of them literally looked like like the trash can robot from Star Wars with a slot in it and a bat sticking out. And it was yeah. like the Robo Batter 2000 or something. It was really, I, I enjoyed the, the art style of it. Not quite steampunk, but heading that direction, I think. Yeah. You know, closer to like Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz than, I don't know, X science fiction movie. It, it, it would almost be more like if you took descriptions or pictures of robots imagined in like the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. It's that 50s style for sure. But yeah, it was it was fun. It was interesting. We played Mark One. I think what four to two, maybe. I believe so. Something like yeah. that. Um, but there was back and forth. There was interesting decision making. We got made fun of for taking it too seriously, and playing <laughs> it too long or something. The box uh, said forty five minutes. I think we took about forty five minutes once we read the rules. Yeah, we probably did. Yeah, it's cool how because I always wondered how it did it, and and we've kind of brainstormed a bit on how to translate sports into board gaming and baseball seems the most natural fit but even within kind of the very discreet structure of baseball it was really elegant in how it simulated the game because on your turn you would play a single card and say it's just a person who is going to hit a double you play that card down and essentially at that point you're threatening to hit a double and then your opponent has gets to play their card, and some of the cards have defensive abilities. Most of them had offensive abilities. A lot of the ones you'd buy later in the game would have both, or pitching abilities or something. And so your the card that Orion plays might say, turn all hits into walks and also threaten a single. And so once he plays his card, then my card from the previous turn resolves. So if nothing defensive or pitching happens, it would resolve as displayed. If not, it gets modified or canceled in some way. And you only have six cards. So And so you're trying to arrange your cards to do very obvious things like do your singles and doubles first and then try to end with a home run. But because there are the pitching and defensive cards you know that perhaps your opponent might be holding one back because they know you're going to try to hit in all your batters at the last card. And so maybe you maybe you try to bluff you know, a couple runs at the beginning, but no, you can get more later on if they use up their cancel card. So there's a little bit of kind of trying to outthink your opponent, a little bit of bluffing, but it's all really light to the, to the touch, which I liked. Yeah, and it was interesting how... It kind of abstracts the idea of in baseball, you go back and forth with a turn at bat, you know, top and bottom of an inning. And this, you go back and forth playing a total of six cards each. Yeah, the the rule book says that in this distant future, baseball has been shortened to six innings because I believe of decreased attention spans and desire for TV (laughs) ratings. That's why they also allowed robots. And cyborgs. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, but it, it... it kind of abstracted it away because each card was zero to three hits and on its own, it might not score any, but if you can chain multiple get together, it could kind of be a really good hitting inning. But then if they played defensive abilities, it could end up being a wash. So I don't know. It was, I doubt I would have come up with that way of abstracting things down, 
but still retaining that kind of back and forth um, tension, I guess. I think it did a pretty good job. I would be really interested to see how the expansions expanded and, and how, how they deepen the game. Because the base game starts with a really simple, basic game. And I can see tons of potential for much more complicated card play. And even like, I don't, I didn't check to see if the rulebook supports this, but even like longer series or like season play type things yeah. would be really interesting. I think the system could support that. I think I've heard that that is supported, at least with some of the expansions, but it seems kind of like a nice platform for a lot of iteration which i i think they have done and then coming up they have the the football game mike fitzgerald the designer is doing football highlights 20 something cool so it'll be interesting to see how that's different from the baseball one Mm -hmm. the other kind of fun things was uh, a lot of the players had these mixed names so you'd get like barry sosa i forget the example sandy gibson i think was one it was all these like blending of names from famous baseball players and you're like oh well that's clearly those two players and some of them actually kind of fit the theme of be like oh this should clearly be a power hitter based on yeah i believe barry sosa just threatened two home runs or three home runs yeah 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 so clever little game i'm glad i played it late to the party on that one but you know if i see it on sale i might pick it up actually yeah sure. i think it'd be fun to explore especially if it has some expansion material with it I can see the base game by itself kind of wearing out pretty quickly. Yeah. There's a lot of cards, so you wouldn't end up with the same ones, but the play would end up being pretty similar without something to spice it up. Mm -hmm. I think probably the best game we played at the convention was Role Player, which, again, another game that has come out in the last couple of years, and I'd heard a lot of good things about it, and we happened to catch someone who was who had just finished reading through the rules, looking for players, and we hopped in on the game, and it was a lot of fun. You liked this better than the other unnamed game that we played on Saturday. I, it was it was newer, it's 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 fresher. Sure, I would give them sure. a very similar rating. <laughs> uh, the I other the other game yep. being El Grande, yep, the classic, but. I think I'm just realizing that dice drafting is just a me- mechanism that I love in almost any context. I don't Pulsar, I can't think um, of a dice drafting game I don't like. Pioneer Days, Pulsar are two notable examples. Castles recently. of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy, of course. Big you're, one, yeah. You're what's that like top 12 for you or something? Was yeah, it, somewhere around top, there. I don't top 15. Was, yeah. I think it was low teens. I don't Did it hit it, the top 10? It might have hit remember. the top 10. Maybe it did. Maybe. It's Anyways. around there. Yeah, and I, is that all the dice drafting games we have? I feel like I should have more. Is it just Pulsar Castles of Burgundy and Pioneer Days? That's all I see on the shelf. Dice drafting, that's all that jumps to mind. I feel like there ought to be another one that we're yeah. missing, but nothing doesn't come to mind. So Maybe I should look into getting more dice drafting games. Maybe you should. Yeah. Quantum uses some of the principles of different faces being meaningful beyond their number yeah. but it's not really drafting. it's not drafting no i like drafting generally i mean i like seven wonders a lot yeah anyway it was great yeah it was great in you, role you player you start you're... with a you kind of have a character sheet and the setup of the game is kind of you, you draw you know a class and a race and a background and an alignment and a different things like this and essentially you're designing 
the character that you're trying to build. And then throughout the game, you draft dice and you purchase items to try to essentially level up <laughs> and build that character to achieve certain end game stats. And then based on how many of those different goals you hit, you get points for each one of those. So for example, maybe your warrior wants strength of 16 or 17 and decks of 12 and constitution of 18 plus. And right. so you'll draft dice throughout the game and each of your main stats, you know, the classic six, uh, strength, decks, con, int, wisdom, charisma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, each one of those has three slots for dice and you total the uh, the face that's up. So sixes are, well, generally you want high numbers. So um, you're trying to reach a certain high total. Um, but then also each stat, when you place a die into that row, it has some power that most of them let you um, either modify your dice or move them or manipulate them in some way um, to... Uh, to I don't know to to move towards your goals and uh, initially like our initial roll I think you rolled like four sixes or something of your initial stats uh, I think I had like two sixes and two fives it was, okay. it was high and I rolled a much probably a more average distribution I think you rolled exactly average I counted it okay yeah and I was like oh man this seems like such a a variable starting position but you have so much ability to like flip dice or re-roll them or bump them by one or uh, different powers like that, that it gives you a lot of flexibility to mitigate that um, opening randomness. Yeah, it brings to mind, there's a lot of lot to talk about with this one, but it brings to mind something I've been pondering for a while that I don't think I've written or s spoke about yet, and that is games that are really generous. And by generous, I mean kind of the opposite of a Twilight Struggle or a Tzolkin or an Agricola. Agricola, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Games that, however they do it, make it feel like everyone is progressing, even if some people end up, uh, you know, like in our game, I like doubled everyone's score. I managed oh, to get us, everything yeah. done really well. But I think everyone else had the feeling throughout the game that they were progressing and accomplishing things that they wanted to accomplish, and they didn't feel like they had made some kind of epic failure th during the game. Yeah, and I wasn't paying super close attention to the score, but I didn't know who was winning until the end. Um, maybe you thought you were winning. I but... pretty much accomplished everything I could to get points, so I felt pretty good. But yeah. I didn't think it was going to be that dramatic. Yeah, the score sheet goes to 50. It's like 1 to 50. And you scored 49, I yeah, think. Yeah, 49. I almost made in, it to the 50. The rest of us were in the 20s somewhere. Mid to late 20s, yeah. Yeah. But it feels like a very generous game. And when I think about it, I always enjoy games like that, that feel generous, that feel like, oh, I'm getting more resources than I thought I would, or, wow, that ability is more powerful than I thought it would be. In this case, it's like, wow, I can change these dice so many times and really kind of try to fine-tune what my, my my attribute ratings are going to be much more than I thought at the beginning of the game. Yeah, like the, the strength power is you get to flip a die. So 
if you drop a if you get stuck at the end like the last draft and you get a one which normally would be miserable for trying to hit your 15 to 18 stat goal mm-hmm. you can place it in strength and flip it to be a six <laughs> yeah uh, it's super generous like that and and my thought is i'm just throwing this out there that games like that especially euro games can be good they can be really good i don't know if they could be among the best games ever i think the generosity makes the experience really good but maybe it I like, feel like a it, tighter it raises the floor, but lowers the ceiling a little. Yeah, bit. that's my that's my impression hmm. as kind of a general statement. I don't know. I was going to say because you've criticized other games for giving you too many resources. Yeah, that that one space game. Space the game. Name. The one where you kind of explore planets and build out in these rows oh the prototype i got yeah, the prototype yeah yeah yeah. stellar leap stellar yeah. leap uh i remember that one specifically you're saying you got too much stuff yeah right? you were just uh, swimming in it it was too easy to get things some of your other games you like you rate agricola pretty highly and that's extremely tight yeah in twilight struggle i mean i like Newsfjord because it's stupidly generous with resources it's another game that just feels so generous but like but role player it there's it doesn't go too play. much it doesn't feel easy but it does feel rewarding i i think it doesn't remove meaningful decisions yeah where i think stellar leap might have kind of just nudged the other side of that line of there was clearly always an obvious play from yeah. what i remember yeah yeah whereas in this i'd have to play it again to be able to better say but it felt like there were different, at least from the kind of a, a macro view, they were different paths you could take to try to hit your goal. Yes, absolutely. And, and one thing we kind of discovered halfway through was that there are cards that give you points for tanking stats, like having less like really tanking, like less than eight or less than five in a stat. You could get points for that. Whereas your um, was it your class? I think your your class would give you about two points per stat for hitting the goals Mm -hmm. but you could buy these were they traits maybe something like that Uh, you you could buy weapons armor skills and traits and probably the traits skills and traits would both move you along on your alignment grid your classic good evil uh, lawful chaotic grid that was a fun thematic thing. Yeah, yeah yeah and you had like one of the squares was your goal um alignment and then, like, the opposite edge of the grid would be minus points. So you'd get three points for hitting. I was, I don't remember, I was an orc druid, and I don't remember my alignment, but I was trying to get to chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. And so lawful good and lawful good was minus three, and the other two were minus one. Mm-hmm. And hitting my alignment directly was plus three. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything more to say about kind of generous games, but that's my impression that there's kind of a, a, a ceiling for those kinds of games just because they remove a lot of tension and I like tension in games. Although I also like really pleasant, generous games, but I don't know. Besides that, back to role player. Anyways, I, I thought there were still interesting decisions to be made. Oh, sure. And there was definitely skill in playing the game and a better strategy or a better plan. There's plenty of randomness in which items come up and things like that. And of course, you're dice drafting, so <laughs> there's that inherent randomness. But... There was definitely room for a good strategy to beat a bad one. Yeah, and you're given... It's really well balanced in kind of the long-term strategy you're given at the beginning of the game. 
and then goals that you pick up as you go. Because initially, when you hear that it's a game about kind of creating a role-playing character, you think, oh, it's just about kind of the initial creation. It's really more about finishing a role-playing character because you end up, first of all, with really high stats, unless you specifically decide to tank, you know, one for different cards. But you're also gathering traits and abilities and equipment along the way. So it's like... It's like taking the role-playing narrative and cutting out all of the narrative parts, almost, or rather leaving them to implication. Yeah, it was it was entirely kind of abstracted down to grinding your stats through these different yeah. uh, acquisitions, and there was no built-in, like, you have an encounter and you fight this thing, and oh, you level up, and now you get a new die. Um, and I suppose you could kind of imagine that onto mm-hmm. uh, the theme, and I think you kind of did. Oh yeah, the narrative that was created through my stupid halfling that I made was hilarious because I pull out halfling, and then I get I get a chaotic evil alignment called lunatic or savage or something. One was lunatic, and the other was savage. And my class was cleric. So already it's a contradiction. Your, yeah, your your background was savage and your alignment was lunatic. Yeah, yeah. Like that. And then the first two, was it traits or the ones you work towards? Yeah. yeah. Traits, which are basically like mid-game goals because it's like you get points if you accomplish this thing. My first two were honesty and loyalty. Yeah. <laughs> And then I got, I don't remember the one in between, but the fourth one I got was famous. And then there was another, like, there, then there was a really bad one. So it was like, it was like it, proud or vain or something. Yeah, proud and then famous. Yeah, yeah. And so it was like I was this sociopath that had spent the entire game pretending to be honest and loyal and a good person to rise to fame only to fall down again or revel in my fame or whatever because I ended up scoring well. But it has that narrative by implication thing that reminds me of Suburbia where you're trying to just do what you can to get points during the game, but once you finish and take a step back and look at everything, it kind of paints a story or a narrative of your character, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I I didn't really hit that as much. One of the guys we played with was this barbarian or warrior orc. Oh, yeah. And he just loaded up on armor the whole game. Yeah. His class let him, like, bump a die every time he bought a piece of armor or yeah. something. So he had, like, three full sets of gear. He had, like, a full set of robes, and then he had a full set of chain armor and maybe one or two other random pieces. Not so, quite a full set. I had to stop him because the oh, armor... Oh, yeah. it was It's a set collection thing. Yeah. Kind of like science in... um. Seven wonders, seven yeah. Wonders, so it was an exponential get, curve. Valuable, yeah. So I had to block some of that chain link armor from him. <laughs> yeah, that would have gotten up to being like fourteen points if he got it all or something like that. Yeah, it was um, it was going to be high. But yeah, no, it was it was he just like kept putting on more clothes and more armor to like feel better about himself and become more powerful or something. It would have fit the character. Like, yeah, <laughs> mine was a contradiction that kind of painted a story. His was just this hilarious character that just kept collecting armor and putting it on and it almost it kind of worked because he had like a leather set and then a chainmail set and then this whole set of robes like the mystic set or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was it was very funny but 
yeah, tons of dice manipulation, like way more than you'd think so that you can really get to a position you want to be in or at least get close to one or feel like you have the potential. The drafting element was really nice because you would roll the dice similar to Pulsar, not quite as interesting or intricate as Pulsar, but someone would roll the dice, you set them up lowest to highest, and the lowest one would take the first initiative on buying equipment and traits in the buy phase. So there was always that inherent trade-off between low dice and getting the equipment you wanted, Mm -hmm. uh, which was well done. You got to see the equipment beforehand so you could plan ahead. Uh, it integrated the colors of the dice as as another little facet in the game, which was nice. Which we didn't realize until the end of the game, but you get points for having dice of your character's color or your class's color. <laughs> yeah, we forgot about that as a point scoring thing. But I ended up grabbing a trait that wanted me to line up similar colored oh, yeah, dice yeah, yeah. in columns. Yeah, I had the one uh, which for I... rows, which I completely sucked at yeah you crushed yours well i i was able to pick up one that let me just move dice around once per turn you also found that stupid gold dagger the gold dagger was amazing plus one to all gold dice oh my gosh yeah uh so i was i was bringing in uh, it was very good I, i had a nice confluence of uh of abilities that worked well together i had the sweet spear that uh so the in a four player game the initiatives go one to five and you roll five, you know, n plus one die, and put them on each track. And the middle three initiatives, two through four, have a gold piece on them. So if you choose a middle initiative, you get that. And then my spear that I bought on the first turn gave me an extra gold whenever I picked one of those. So that funded a lot of purchases for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, there's other little things like if you take a gold die, you get two gold, and if you finish a row. So each of your stats has three slots. Whenever you finish the third slot or you place it on the third slot, you get a gold. And then uh, the skills and traits, when you buy the trait, they generally give you points for accomplishing some goal or or something like that. But they also would move you on the alignment when you bought them. And then the skills would move you on the alignment chart when you used them. So you can kind of buy skills with your alignment goal in mind. So... If you, like me, were going to be chaotic evil uh, at the end, I ended up buying these, like, cure wounds and heal (laughs) cards because they synergized with my druid class of green dice. Mm. And they let me do things like bump your dice stats and stuff, but they kept moving me up. So I had to wait until the end and then save my last couple alignment moves to get back down into the the good chaotic the you know the chaotic evil yeah. corner that I was uh, that I was targeting so yeah really pleasant game I heard I have heard around the grapevine that the expansion is very very good mm-hmm. um, you said it was kind of a, a co-op competitive thing of you fight a monster at the end but you're trying to do the most damage or something yeah I glanced through the rule book and that's what it looked like it's it's a beefy expansion it's like a thirty five dollar expansion I don't know how much the base game costs. But it couldn't can't be more than forty or fifty. I, I imagine so, there are a lot of dice in there, which usually are expensive. Yeah, ni- nice dice too. Yeah, like almost casino quality, like hard edged. Yeah, they were nice. Good, good quality dice. Great inserts were with slots for to set dice into. Mm-hmm. Love yep, it. Yep. And just really an enjoyable game. Yeah, it was. It was probably the most fun game we played. I'd say so. Yeah. 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 In terms of like the quality of the game. 
Mm-hmm. A couple people on the live stream are commenting about other dice drafting games. We forgot to mention Sagrada, yeah, which we played once, which was which was fun. Lighter yeah. on the lighter side, looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then Stain, drafting dice to fill in a stained glass window. Yeah, and then obviously there's coming up. Have, did you see this? The makers of Azul are making a game, I believe, a dice drafting game. Or some kind of game about constructing a stained glass window. Oh, really? It's very, it's very strange to see that announcement. Huh, no. I yeah. don't follow news as much as you, but I had not seen that. And then the other one that uh, some people from the Patreon enjoy is Toi, which I've heard is good. I think it got a really good review from Shut Up and Sit Down, but I have not played it. Okay. Kind of a, I think an older, not relatively older, I think within... Within 10 years, but maybe on the longer side of 10 years. Uh, I mean, 10 years is like Euro an game. eternity in board gaming. Yeah, I mean, we're getting to the point, like, maybe 15 is kind of the, the big bulk of Okay, I guess 15 goes back to 2003, which is not many games, not many modern games are older than that. Yeah. I mean, Pandemic's 10 years old. Dominion's 10 years old. Yeah. Which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk about any of the other games we played there? Played that trick-taking game, which was it was interesting. Uh, just briefly mention, yeah, what was it? Stitchin or something? Stitchlin? Steichen. I'm it's, butchering That, that game was game. like 25 years old. It was really? in the 90s, yeah. It was an interesting trick-taking game where everything except for the lead uh, suit is Trump. And at the beginning of each hand, you have to declare a suit that counts negative if you take so every trick you take is one point per card and then every card of that suit uh the cards go zero to 14 is minus x points where x is the value of the card Mm -hmm. so you could lose 14 points on one card um which some people did (laughs) yes um there were definitely there were two of the five people playing ended up in negative points like negative 40 plus yeah um i think the winner was 40 something yeah i had in the 30s uh, i was in the teens i think yeah it was it was a lot of fun i think primarily because we had a fun group of people playing mm-hmm. and we were all a little bit loopy because it was late yeah i think as, as if you were playing it at another time in another setting it might not have been as interesting yeah we both kind of figured out that you want to because every non-lead suit is Trump, you want to just choose the suit as your pain suit that you have the, the most, most cards of generally, unless there was a bunch of high ones. Yeah. But as, usually as long as you have a couple low cards, ones, yeah. you want the suit that you have the most of because leading or following suit is like the least powerful play and the least likely to win a hand. Yeah, so, so as long as you have like three to four relatively low values of that suit, yeah, as you just try to, you always lead with those, get them off the table, and then even if you lead later on, if someone's forced to go off suit, they auto take the hand. Right. Yeah. And it's it's fairly easy to dump later on as long as you don't have all high cards of your pain suit. Yeah. But beyond that, it, it was enjoyable. But I don't think there was anything crazy there. I've I've certainly p- would prefer nearly every other trick taker I've played. Not that I've played a lot of them, but I'd rather play in a I didn't in think an it... average setting. Like I'd prefer hearts. I think 
Sure. Uh, you played Tribe, which looked really interesting. Oh yeah, Tribe. It's a I believe is it's a Japanese game. I wasn't there for the initial, but that was the impression. It's either I got. Japanese or Korean. Because the the guy imported it from somewhere, I think. Yeah, from from Asia somewhere. I think he said most of his games that he brought were Japanese or Korean. I can't okay. remember about that one, but it's called Tribe, and it's a dexterity kind of balance game. You have these nearly two-dimensional human figures and then all these different shapes of various colors. And it actually has a fairly intricate points system. And that would actually be my biggest criticism of the game is that it's kind of difficult to figure out where you have the potential to score points because you have to count like how many of a particular shape are have been played already or how many of a particular color on each individual person, but Mm -hmm. any kind of stacking balancing game is going to be hilarious. And this one was people trying to do ridiculous things. There was this fish shape that this guy stuck on like the, the human figures neck and then he put a rooster on top of it. And then I balanced this ring on the rooster's tail. It was there's Nuts. another one where you had this like chain going down of link within. It was literally like, a chain, yeah. You had like three or four links going down off of this horizontal bar that someone had balanced. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, and then at the end you have like all these like it gets there's like these five figures that you're stacking things on, and you can't have the same color or the same shape touch. Yeah, which was uh, difficult yeah. by the end of the game. Yeah, and it looked like by the end you were just trying to find a place to put anything. And then you lose a point every time you knock a piece off. And the one guy, like, was going for an ambitious play. And he had hit, like, three of these in a row. And then he went one too far and knocked over the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, that looked like a blast. Yeah, the the annoying part was just making sure you weren't, like, opening up the next person to score, like, a one or two point play. Yeah. And then trying to see if there were any scoring opportunities of your own. Yeah. But in terms of balancing, I mean, that's always really fun. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I'm hoping it's at the next local convention, the the uh, construction card stacking oh, yeah, dexterity game I one. played yeah. a few months ago. Hopefully was, that comes out soon. I would that was love at, to I get think my that hands was at G2? On. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That's probably my favorite stacking dexterity game I've ever played. Not that I've played many. Mm-hmm. And I've played... Those two? I mean, I've played Jenga. Oh, yeah, that's... Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so I don't the, play a lot of dexterity Those games. were a couple other smaller games that were fun. We played El Grande at the end of the night. Just great. Which is, it's the big. Um, is, it, is it better the second time, Orion? It is better the second time. I think there are, I'm a little biased because I just crushed this game and won handily. <laughs> yeah, you were what, 20, 30 points ahead of me and I was in second? I think the first time we played this, the winner was in like the high 90s, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe just over 100. And this game, I hit like 120 or something. Yeah. And you were the closest at 110-ish. I don't know if I hit 110. I think I One, barely you, you broke, broke 100. A, you broke 100, but, yeah. and then everyone else was had not broken 100. And <laughs> now it sounds like I'm boasting or something. Uh, the, the point was just that it was not as cutthroat as the first time we played. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple things that made it better. One is I knew the cards that could come out. So I I knew the sorts of things that could come out. 
because there are some there are some mean cards that can show up and we also played a rule correctly this time where instead of the first bid just passing to the left mm, yeah. it goes to whoever was the lowest initiative on the previous round yeah, which I, I screwed that up initially we read which was this significant rule. we read this rule but we interpreted the rule book wrong yeah the first time we played which definitely makes the game a lot better because one of the criticisms we had was that in a certain player count game you would just never get to go first on a valuable turn or on like the scoring the round right before scoring um whereas with this you can set yourself up by going low the you know penultimate turn and then having the chance to play high on the scoring turn right to set yourself up to grab the scoring card you want or the king card you know whatever so that made it better knowing the cards made it a little better it was less there was less take that which i thought made it better there's other area control games i would prefer but and i won so i'm a little biased there (laughs) but it was better the second time yeah i still think dominant species is basically the best of that kind of game i've played and I would always prefer it, but I still think El Grande is really, really good. Yeah. Anyways, on to uh, the other game, which we talked about on Saturday, but because a bunch of the other people had been playing it recently. Everyone's playing it. Like, okay. Everyone in the world. I, I, when you put it, I, just, I came back and uh, it was on the table and it kind of looks like this, I don't know, the art style almost feels like this indie game to me. I mean, it's only their second game they've, they've made. Okay. Leader games, I think. It's I think a, vast... It's a, I think Vast was their first oh, title. Really? That was their game. It's the same company. Yeah, I think Vast oh. and Root are the only two games they've made. Interesting. Okay. Or they have they have a kind of a sequel to Vast that's either has been I think it's been kickstarted but hasn't been released yet. Okay. Maybe. So, what do you think of Root? We've played it 3 times now? I've I've played or it you've, 3 times. You've played it 3 times. I've played it twice. Yeah. Every time at 3 players, so I haven't played the full 4 players. We haven't played with the Vagabond yet because it wasn't recommended for three players, although I was I was given assurances at the convention that... Just play. Just do just, it. just play different configurations and it works itself out. I think it has the potential to be good. I don't understand why everyone's raving about it so much. I don't think it's good the first time. Yeah, but I mean, I get that that's the experience they're going for. Like, there are some games that aren't going to be good the yeah. first time. That's it's fine. It's worth noting, but it's not necessarily a black mark. Sure. Yeah, it's worth noting. I don't think that problem is nearly as severe as with Vast. Vast seems much, much more contingent on the players all understanding the game at a fairly deep level to actually just balance the game and make it work as a competitive exercise. Root, once we've played correctly, I screwed up the rules quite a bit on the first play, but our other two games have been pretty close. We've been fairly good at self-balancing. It's not that hard to figure out like who's in a better position or who's poised to win. Yeah, both a little. Ga- there's both, a both couple games things. Both games have kind of have had a fairly similar kind of scoring arc. Um, right. Where the the birds ha- they score a little bit initially and then collapse and usually lose all or most of their points and tend to fall way behind. And then their second decree that they set up their second time through, Get some, they, points, they start yeah. scoring a lot more. And I think if you play well there, that's your, kind of your best chance to uh, kind of overtake everyone else and hit 30 and win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or I suppose you could go for the domination victory, but that's a separate deal. The Cats, which I have not played, I've seen 
played twice now, but I have not played them. They have a uh, really good beginning. They game. start with the whole map controlled, and then just lose uh, position from there and have to struggle to maintain as much as they can. So I think both times you've gotten to a point where you ran out of places to score points by building things. Right, and that um, was the biggest limiting factor. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk basically. I mean, everyone's playing it, but you know, that's not a literal everyone. Let's talk basically how the game works. It is a kind of area control asymmetric war game. The coin games I know were an inspiration for the designer. Uh, Vast was obviously an inspiration, kind of the extreme asymmetry that they did with Vast. Although, like we said, it's toned down a little bit. And I think just general area control combat games, like direct interaction. I, I see a lot of, like, Comet in there and games like that. You know, Blood Rage, maybe, in terms of just having a really claustrophobic battlefield and trying to kind of outrace the other players rather than conquer them within the, the confines of a uh, direct interaction, violent-style game. At least for the birds and the cats. The, the Woodland yeah, I, Alliance I see, has a different thing going on, and I know the Vagabond is really I think different. I see more, like, coin inspiration than other, like, standard area control. Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of, bit of this, bit of that. And maybe just because every race scores on different things. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's in, certainly inspired by coin in that regard, and kind of inspired by coin in that there are different ways to control or different ways to exploit a given area. So coin always, the coin games that we played almost entirely or entirely have kind of a dual way of control. There's like, it's really explicit in fire in the lake where you can have military control and you can have the support of the population. And those are two separate things. There's a little bit of that in root. There is, a way to have uh, what's rule over a given area, control, like military control. But you can also have, in certain situations, two different buildings from different uh, factions in the same area and and getting benefits from that. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of that, but it doesn't have the card play that coin does. It uses a completely different card system just to make things simpler, I think. Uh, It doesn't have an event deck, which I think is pretty critical to coin games how that plays out that's where it really differentiates itself instead it has these kind of multi-purpose cards that are based on suits there are three main suits there's another suit that's wild and they're kind of used a bit differently by every faction that we've played at least you should also say uh you're battling over this series of woodland clearings Mm -hmm. and there there's kind of a i don't know it's to use a mathematical term it's a map um, but it's each point to point, yeah, each clearing connects to about three other clearings, and each clearing also has a a suit, a, a type of clearing. So, what are they? The the fox, the mice, and the bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's four of each of those clearings, so twelve total. And you are vying for control of those clearings, but control is generally a means to the end of scoring so generally you yes. need you need control to be able to build something which is how you actually score most of the time yes uh, which is really nice there's also this kind of side game about like crafting things uh, yeah and which is generally again a, a that's more the which area is like control a, thing 
Well, it's almost like another layer. Like you want to control areas to put things in that area and establish yourself. And then that establishing yourself typically helps you craft things. Yeah. At least again for the birds and the and the the cats, which operate most closely. Uh, the Woodland Alliance is again the kind of the wonky one of those three of the four main ones we played. They're more of the reaction to those other two because the first two, the cats and the birds, are these fairly straightforward militaristic factions who are trying to con- rule the whole woods and then do things having ruled and areas do things to score points. Right. The Woodland Alliance is the, uh, they're trying to stir up sympathy. They're like the guerrilla faction. They're yeah, like, the, the they're guerrilla like the Viet Cong almost. Yeah, exactly. And in, in Fire uh, in the Lake. every time one of the other factions moves in or attacks them, they get a card, which they can use to kind of rebuild their sympathy. And when you look at it from like individual mechanism standpoints, there's so much cleverness here. The, the thing you just talked about, the sympathy being represented by cards that you have to give to the other player when you interfere in their space, that thematically makes a lot of sense and it works out really nicely. The decree is brilliant. That might I be love part the, of the bird's game. decree. It's the best, I think the best way of representing kind of bureaucratic bloat that I've ever seen in a board game. Because how it works is that you have four main actions and you begin the game with a card in two of them. Recruit, move, battle, and build. And every turn you add one or two cards to that decree. You must. You have to. And then you have to do all of those things on your turn. Everything that's in your decree. And the cards you play into that will also determine where you can do them. So the suit of the card will determine where, like, if you put a fox card in the battle section you have to battle in a fox section so which it, means you have to be in a situation where you have units and opposing units in a fox clearing yeah so it forces you to do suboptimal moves sometimes because if you cannot do every action in the decree you collapse and everything in the decree gets discarded you lose a bunch of points and you start over with just two cards in the decree yeah it's really nicely done. The cats are the most straightforward. There's nothing super special there. I like the way they have the cards do different things, but those individual elements are really cool. When looked at holistically and how they work together, I get less enthused. The barrier with any kind of direct interaction game is that you ultimately those games can reduce to a simple political diplomacy game of kingmaking of yeah of kingmaking effectively there's definitely potential for that in this game and and the hurdle that a lot of these games that these games have to overcome is hiding that and twilight imperium does a good job of that dominant species i think does a good job of that although it's a little bit more in the forefront there there's just some so much you can do in dominant species to turn around around like there's a there's so much mobility in terms of positioning and scoring uh, then it makes that more interesting. Here, it seems a little too stripped down and bare of like, okay, this person has a better position. We have to stop them. Okay, now this other person is in a better position. We have to stop them. And it's really easy to kind of view the game as this person can achieve X number of points this turn. And then that's kind of the whole way you view it. 
like like the Woodland Alliance, like we discovered last time that once they have the they best build up abilities, yeah. Once they build up, they can do some moves and get themselves into position and just score like eight points in a turn. And the game goes to thirty points. Or thirteen. <laughs> I, I, I could have scored thirteen that final round. I yeah. only needed eight to win. Yeah. When it becomes a game of just bash on the leader, it it dramatically loses its, its excitement and it, it, it kind of loses immediately to me at least in the games i've played a lot of the narrative fun and the mechanical interest in kind of figuring out the puzzle of your race uh, or of your faction and it just becomes that political game that that doesn't feel just that satisfying. kill the leader and then it becomes this game of set yourself up in second place with enough points to score but distract people with the leaders yeah so that you can win which, I mean, which is a criticism you can have of games that I love, like Dominant Species. That's my main criticism of Dominant Species, is it can do that, although I think most of the time it does a pretty good job of disguising that. Which is Commet- interesting, because that exact strategy is one of the things I love about Twilight Imperium, and I've, I haven't published this yet, but I've written most of a strategy article based around that, I, that exact idea. Yeah, Twilight Imperium, I think, can get around it just by how big it is and how long it is it has room to and do n- it a lot of the negotiation to that a little bit maybe on the last turn yeah but there's so much game leading up to that that you don't run into that for <laughs> hours and hours <laughs> i mean i think the closest parallel is Comet. Comet almost always falls into a, almost a pseudo king making thing but just thing because is, you're going to seven points like the points are so tight but with Comet, you can't necessarily stop people from scoring because all the scoring is done by attacking or almost almost all the scoring is done by attacking so you have to find a situation where you know player x who is at six points doesn't have a valid target to attack but that's that that almost precludes you from actively doing anything yeah i mean i feel like i've been in that situation more the comment i was going to make is that Comet is engaging, and I think, at least right now, I would rate it as a better game than Root, because the progression of customizing your armies and that whole tech tree thing is so engaging. With Root, you're kind of just handed your strategy at the start, and it's just up to you to execute it, execute it, and to effectively smack the leader down. Yeah. Maybe the game will progress into a version of that that's really diplomatically interesting. But right now, I just don't see that happening. I think it will, at least so far, it seems like it will end up playing similarly game to game. Yeah. Or at least kind of a similar macro pattern of the cats expand, the birds do their initial push, and then they do their final push, the Woodland Alliance sets up their sympathy and eventually has eventually creates their bases and tries to score out. Yeah, which which is a situation where, you know, the the worst case scenario is that it becomes a game where the beginning game and the end game are really boring and the only interesting part is kind of stuff that happens right in the middle that's not railroaded in. Mm-hmm. that's well, the worst case the best case it becomes really diplomatically interesting and you yeah. find more nuances as we play more which i'm hoping will happen yeah and i think both the barrier and the prerequisite to that sort of ideal situation that you're talking about is that everyone playing 
has a roughly equal knowledge of all of the races. Right. Because you have to know the capabilities of the other race in this sort of asymmetrical competitive game. You have to know what they're capable of to create your own strategy to end up in a self-balancing situation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the person who knows the game the best will just win. Yeah. And just comparing it to the coin games, I think the coin games avoid that problem better because it creates much more interesting relationships between the different factions. Yeah. And it makes the journey more interesting just because it's more involved, it's more in-depth. And there's the historical element. And the historical element. Which, at least for us, is another plus. Yeah. And I'm not even a history nerd, but just I think that adds something. We have to highlight how great the production is of Root. The art for is sure. so nice. The minis are lovely. The the, uh, the little animal meeples are great. I, I just adore the art and i and i i really like that they're kind of putting this cutesy almost like disney theme on a war game but again i think if you're comparing it to the coin games it loses a bit because it doesn't have any historical background it's harder to create the narrative in your mind when you don't have a lot of good parallels to how this is playing out right a historical conflict that you already know something about has at least some name recognition and some if tenuous emotional pulls of yeah we know something about julius caesar or we know something about the Viet Cong, even if it was before our time and we've never really studied it yeah it's got this kind of shared reference baggage and baggage in a good way that you can yeah like you can all use societal to, baggage or something yeah yeah or Shared history. So, yeah, uh, something, something like, like that. that. Which just aids it, in, I think, inherently. Although, you know, again, the art direction everything in Root is really compelling. It just doesn't create a narrative experience for me. Mm-hmm. Again, it, I guess my ultimate criticism, other than the kind of railroaded aspect that I think it could fall into, is... Well, I guess part of that, too, is that it seems like a game that is very easy to view reductionistically. It's very easy to view it in such a way that takes away in your mind all of the theme and the narrative and the interesting interplay between people. And it's easier to just view it as numbers, which some games can do well, but this one seems a bit too simplistic on that front to work. But yeah, I guess that's that's the first impression of Root. Yeah. I, I don't um, think it's a bad game. I think right now I currently on BoardGameGeek have it rated as a, as a six. Out of 10. Okay. But I could certainly sing in that swinging pretty wildly in either direction as I keep playing. Yeah. I think it's definitely interesting. I am not sure what sort of staying power it will have. I think that would require... It might require like the same group of people to play to kind of develop a meta and then find a way to um, subvert that meta that we found in some of these other political games that really gives them legs. Or it might just be the matter of adding the fourth player. That is also something I want to try. Right. Like, it could be one of those games that was really made for four players and any other player account's going to be suboptimal. Although I think I saw in BGG they recommend, like, the the uh, hive mind of BGG has recommended at both three and four. Okay. Not at two, though. I It's a decent game at three, for sure. It's definitely interesting. There's stuff going on. Yeah, we'll see. One um, kind of weird thing about the alliance is... You almost can't stop them from scoring points. 
you can just kind of shape their strategy. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, specifically on that faction, when I played it the one time, I commented at the end of the game that I just felt like I was playing the clock. Mm-hmm. I'm playing as the clock because... Maybe they're the uh, evolution of the cave from uh, Vast. I mean, kind of, a little <laughs> bit. Although in Vast, everyone's a clock. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, I, I, and the same for Root, but it felt like I was pretty much bounded into until you get to the very end stage of development for them, they're going to score between like two and four points every turn. Yeah. I think I had a more variable play in the game you played as the Alliance. Matt fought you a lot. He was playing as the cats, killed a lot of your sympathy, Mm -hmm. which gave you cards and that you replace it from one point to card. Um, Which I think is what you have to do because if they can get to the point where they have units out and can do that move, and move then sympathy move thing. sympathy thing, and they're scoring three to four points per sympathy dropped, like game over by that point. you I think you have to stamp them down the whole game. And, and the game there in that three-player game might be infighting between the cats and the birds of who's going to do that stamping down. Yeah. I think that might be how the three-player game ultimately plays out. Mm-hmm. which could be interesting yeah in my game you you kind of mostly left me alone and i just did my thing and so i kind of hit a wall of card economy because i wasn't getting the constant cards income from people attacking me so i kind of had to slowly build up but then i was able to score a ton at the end mark is commenting and he's played this game more than we have that the alliance really needs people or rather, the Alliance doesn't need it. The other players need to kill their bases Yeah. once the bases come out, which is something I, I missed. And again, that's yeah. something you have, you only know by understanding all the factions. Right. But that is fair. I don't think we've destroyed a base in either game that we've played correctly. So. Right, yeah. So we're still, we're still novices at the game for sure. Yeah. My first game, though, I have to put this out there. I was playing as the birds, and I played what... I expect will be kind of the standard strategy of going recruit first to get a lot of troops out. And then your second choice is a little more open, but I went for the combat bonus because I was really fighting Matt a lot as the cats. And we had this stalemate up in the corner of fighting back and forth of, I could do more damage, but he had more troops for a while. Eventually I overwhelmed and, and, and took it with probably some favorable dice rolls. But then on what, it came around to be what was going to what I'm pretty sure was the last turn. Cause I think if I did nothing, you would have won as the Alliance. I think so. And I don't think Matt could have won. Maybe he could have, I forget. I don't know what crafting he had. Anyways, if you did nothing, if I did nothing, yeah, maybe he could have attacked me and built something. But anyways, you were both at like 27 ish mm-hmm. real close. And I was at about 20 points as the birds. And I found a play where I could, and I had a huge built-up decree, so I had like I had this really interesting problem of I had to go fight his home region because I I forget if I had to build I think I had to build on a mouse and that was the only mouse region left that I hadn't built on so I had to go for his home region and then I had to also go for something else so once I worked through it there was a play that got me to thirty points. And we went through it and I had the plus one damage from the leader, plus one damage for only fighting buildings. And so I had to roll not a double zero on yes, the combat in his home right. region because he had two buildings there and the uh, 
And the keep. The keep. And you can't build anything unless the keep is completely wiped out. Yes, exactly. So I I had to roll two D4s and not get a double zero. And I, you know, spoiler alert, I rolled the double zero. And um, because of that, I wiped out two of the buildings. Mm -hmm. And then he was able to move troops back in, reestablish control or rule because he had the majority and build there for like seven points to win the game which he couldn't have done if I hadn't gone for that play. Right. So you aided him by killing his buildings. Exactly. Uh, which is weird. But I also gave myself a, whatever, 93% chance to win the game. Yeah. You know, 15 out of 16, which is hilarious. And I don't know. It was just a really interesting end to the game because I, I didn't think I could win. But once I worked through kind of the direction that the decree forced me into... I found a way that I could accumulate 10 points and then it came down to the dice at the end. Mm -hmm. but yeah. You had 15 out of 16. Such is life. I can live with those odds. Yeah. Even if I'll, I'll, I'll gripe about it a little bit, but I, I would take those you odds every time. You know you had those odds. I, oh, I will take that out. play <laughs> and make, I will make that play every time that I'm in that situation. Oh, sure. And be happy with the outcome, even if I lose more than, you know, one in 16 times. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm looking forward to playing it, and I hope we can get a four-player game in maybe this weekend. Yeah. Um, which would be nice. I want to play that Vagabond, because they're, the, the I think, the real oddball out of the, the four base yeah, game factions. Yeah, they, like, jump between the forests, between the yeah, clearings. They, yeah, they don't go into the clearings and at they, all. And uh, they trade cards for the items that you craft, and then they do things with those items, and I think they, like, raid or something. And then they have to, sometimes they have to like sit back and repair their items, maybe. I don't actually know. I've just I, read I've, like. I didn't, I haven't even read the rule book I've read like for it yet. Half of the summary card for the Vagabond. And that's everything that I'm basing this off of. So yeah. there you go. That's, that's kind of root. First impressions, not the best game we've ever played. Not terrible. Interesting with some potential, some concern for it maybe becoming stale. Um, mm -hmm. But interesting. And uh, yeah, although we should say there's there's already two, I believe two expansion factions, and I know they've got like two or three more on the way. Really? Okay. They're really cool. looking to expand this, so nice. Uh, maybe that'll. I mean, it'll that will keep it keep it going, keep it fresh. But it's it's certainly at this point not my game of the year. Like many 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 people have said, it is. You sticking already with, their game of the year. You sticking with suburbia. Or sorry, not suburbia. Um, Sprawlopolis. Sprawlopolis. Yes, thank you. I think yeah. Last time I checked, that was my highest-rated game of 2018. Okay, we'll see. There's uh, a couple months to go. There's a couple months to go. Essen to go. Yeah, uh, which is big. And I've got a couple of exciting review copies that should be coming in soon that I'm very excited about. So nice. 2018, like the board game season is it's it's shifted like a fiscal year because. You get Essen? so many games coming out of Essen, which is right at the end of the year. Mm, yeah. And then you often don't see best of until like the halfway point of the following year because mm. people are still playing the games from the previous year. So you're going to shift your calendar to start in like March? I haven't even done my best of 2017. There's still one more game I want to play before oh, really? I do that. <laughs> the Expanse, remember? We haven't played it yet. Oh, yeah. Maybe do you have all the pieces it. yet? I did finally get you the finally pieces okay. from WizKids. Okay. Yeah, that was a pain. But uh, maybe we'll play that this weekend also. That's supposed to be not too long. Sure. Yeah. And then I can finally do my best of 2017 list. <laughs> Although I should probably play Azul. Maybe I'll see if I can figure out how to play Azul. 
I think that's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to our Patreon live stream viewers who gave us lively conversation throughout the podcast. I love it. If you want to get in on that, go to patreon.com slash the thoughtful gamer. And just a couple dollars a month will help us out, help us get better equipment. I already got some new audio equipment that we're using for the first time. I haven't listened to it in the editing room yet. I'm hoping it sounds really nice because thanks to the support of our patrons, I was able to purchase that. Don't forget to check out the website at thethoughtfulgamer.com. Hit me up on Twitter, on Facebook, and don't forget to rate and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Peace out.